Hello and welcome to the Real Heroes of E-Commerce. I am your host, Jason. This episode is another installment of Segments and Strategies, where we talk about the customer with founders and e-commerce professionals. Today, Colin McIntosh joins us on the show. He is the CEO of Sheets and Giggles. Not only do they have the best brand name in the history of mankind, but true to their name, he actually does give a sheet about his customers. And we talk about how that has led to incredible success. I hope you like this one and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's get to it. Welcome to the Real Heroes of E-Commerce. <laughs> nice to be here, finally. Yeah, so uh, I guess just start telling me a little bit about how you got into Sheets and Giggles. Well, it's a long story, uh, and there's like multiple versions of the story. So uh, the short version is I had worked in consumer brands for a few years uh, in my mid-20s. I um, got laid off at 1 p.m. on a Monday from my last job. I was really upset with how all that ended. Um, and I thought if I was my own CEO, this wouldn't have happened. So three weeks after I got laid off, I put my money where my mouth was and incorporated Sheets and Giggles and was off to the races. So that's kind of like the first why is the, you know, kind of how I got into consumer brands and mm-hmm. then then where I went from my layoff. In terms of Sheets specifically, uh, super weird story. <laughs> Uh, have you ever seen War Dogs with Miles Teller and Jonah Hill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a six. It's like a six out of ten. The movie. It's okay. Um, but I was watching that movie, and Miles Teller's character is selling sheets out of the back of a pickup truck, yeah. and he has to burn all the inventory because nobody will buy them. And I got so frustrated with his character that I asked my now ex girlfriend to pause the movie. Um, and I wrote a whole business plan for a bed sheets company that night. Um, because I was like, he didn't do any, any demographic research. He had no idea what his pricing strategy should be. His go to market plan. He didn't have a good value prop. Um, and I was like, you know what? Pause the movie. (laughs) So I wrote a, I wrote a business plan that night. And then that was probably June, 2017. And whenever I write a business plan for a company, I always think what's a funny name for blank. And I said, what's a funny name for bed sheets company and sheets and giggles. It's a funny name. And so uh, then I think three months later was when I incorporated. So very very bizarre. Did you finish the movie after your business plan? No, Uh, I think I finished it maybe years later. I was like, you know what? I never actually finished that movie. Uh, Like I said, it was okay. It was pretty good. John L did a good job. Yeah. So very very odd. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, I actually wondered if you had thought of the name first before you thought of the company or if the, you named it after so well well, so basically i was i became over the course of like three or four months after i wrote this business plan i just kept thinking about it it was it was like a funny brand and a very boring big space that has a lot of undeserved um self-righteousness amongst the brands that are in it Mm -hmm. um it's very uh it's very stodgy it's very stuffy uh, there's not a lot of good sustainable options. There are most, it's mostly synthetic polyurethane, you know, plastic based petro uh, or petrochemical based plastics. Um, and so I was really, really, uh, I, I just started researching the industry. I started thinking, could I actually do this? Is this a legitimate idea? I ran the plan by a few different people and it, really you're right. I was obsessed with the brand name and with the idea of doing something really weird and different in a in a traditionally stuffy space so that was it just became a bit of an obsession and then I started telling people about it and people looked at me like I had three heads um and uh but yeah you know like all the negative feedback in the world can't stop you (laughs) 
so did you like when you were doing when you were watching the show and you said he didn't do any demographic research or anything how did you go about that like in a generally stuffy industry like how did you find that niche customer base uh well first and foremost i knew that everything i was going to do was going to be sustainable i knew that it was going to be not for everyone in terms of the sense of humor of the brand you know um, I liken it to kind of like a Seinfeld of brands where we're sort of a brand about nothing. Um, any given week, we can talk about, um, you know, our sustainable betting. The next week, we could talk about a SpongeBob meme. The week after that, we could talk about something topical, something political, potentially. The week after that, we could talk about, um, you know, uh, <laughs> our, our, our parents or, you know, it's Mother's Day or something. Like, it's very, it's very all over the place. It's a very authentic brand. And it's just kind of wherever, uh, wherever it takes me. Um, and so I just knew that right away that not everybody was going to be a hundred percent in on what I was building and that was okay. So mm -hmm. I really set out to find people who were like-minded, who grew up with similar humor influences and who mm -hmm. would really resonate with the brand voice that we were building. Okay. So when you launched this in 2017, started in 2017 october 2017 and then we didn't ship our first box until october 2018 so it was about one year from incorporation to shipping okay that seems about normal timeline so uh what how has your your view of the customer changed over time you said they were just more like like-minded people like you know millennials who <laughs> watched spongebob in college <laughs> Yeah, I think initially, so when when I first started, I did a brand a brand identity map. Um, and in my brand identity map, I had my my core demographics that I thought I was going to be going after. And I actually had young men as my core demographic. And I thought that it was because nobody in the betting industry was speaking to them. So I kind of wanted to do to do that. Um, and turns out that young men don't really buy a lot of betting uh, and men in general, actually. Um which is kind of interesting. Uh, and that was discovered by some of our initial customer surveys. We, you know, we started gathering emails for people who are interested in our crowdfunding campaign. Uh, we started to see a, a trend, mostly women, you know, 70, 75% women giving us their emails. And then we did our survey. We had about a thousand respondents. It was probably about 700 women and 300 men. And the answers were so stark in terms of what are your, what are your style preferences? What are your materials preferences? What do you, you know, all these different things we were asking them and women always had very specific replies and men almost always had whatever my spouse wants, whatever, whatever my girlfriend says that she should do, whatever my significant other tells me. And so that was really interesting. And I, and I thought it was kind of an interesting, um, split there that I didn't, I didn't really totally expect because it's not how I, I do my home buying personally. Um, and so very quickly, the target audience for us became more millennial women um, and, and people who were really um, focused on sustainable home choices. Uh, and that's where we really found our audience is people who are trying to bring earth-friendly options into their lives in every every different room, every different part of their house, every different part of their life. And, um, and also people who probably watched a lot of Seinfeld and friends. <laughs> so these are, are eucalyptus, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Eucalyptus Lyocell. How did you find that? Like, uh, 
so I looked at a bunch of different materials. I the the whole point of the fabric was that it had to be the most sustainable fabric in the market that was also soft and suitable enough for bed sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, hemp, which is really sustainable, very lovely for apparel, um, far too rough for bedding. Um, even adding a you know fifteen percent hemp into a blend will make it um, almost. Uh, so unpleasant you wouldn't want to sleep on it it's really interesting um so we looked at a few other different fibers all cellulosic so all plant-based um we looked at bamboo-based fabrics we looked at uh beechwood spruce pine um and eucalyptus lyocell was the one that really when i when i started to sleep on it and i had my my first experience with it i knew that this was a, a far superior product to anything that i had previously slept on um and I looked at the market penetration and I looked at the market awareness. I think it was something like four out of 1000 respondents said that they had heard of eucalyptus, um, Lyle cell before. Right. So it showed me that, and whereas it was something like, um, 45%, so like 450 people said that they had heard of bamboo. Um, so that was really interesting where it was like, okay, we have, we have a few different fabric choices here. Um, and there's one that seems to have extremely little market penetration, or at least in the average person's mindset and market awareness. So, um, that was one of the big things I clued in on with this material was it was a really nice opportunity to introduce people to a new fabric. Um, and then also importantly, bamboo viscose, the, the earlier version of the cellulosic rayon process, which a lot of people are familiar with, um, actually uses a, a solvent called carbon disulfide, which is harmful to workers, harmful to environments, can't be recycled, it can has to be disposed of. Um, and so it can be very harmful for waterways and for its workers. So the, so our, our product uses something called amine oxide, which can be recaptured and reused in a closed loop system over and over and over again. And then it easily breaks down and is harmless to workers and environments. So that's something that was also a big differentiator for me between, um, you know, some of these uh, plant-based fabrics. So do do your customers really know all of this when they're <laughs> when they're going out? Um, it's actually a great question because I take the opinion of all the information is there on our site for people who want to learn, mm-hmm. and we've put a lot of videos out there and we've put a lot of copy out there, and if people will read deep, like people will go deep for sure. Um, but also at the same time, I've always taken the hypothesis of like their bed sheets. Um, I don't have to explain it too in depth, right? There's a fitted sheet, a flat sheet and two pillowcases. Like people understand that they get what it is. Mm-hmm. And so as long as the reviews are really strong, the brand is really strong and the product itself is really strong when they open up their box. Um, people are generally willing to take a flyer on a company that they think is interesting and different and, and unique in a, in a space. Um, and so I haven't, I honestly haven't taken the approach of over, we're not a sage brand. So we don't, we don't really dive into the educational materials as an upfront way of being, mm-hmm. but everything is there on our site for the avid reader, for the folks who want to get into it. But no, mostly for me, I focus on the fact that it's a better product. I focus on the fact that it's softer than cotton. It has a lower coefficient of friction. Um, I focus on the fact that it's more breathable. It's more moisture wicking. It's naturally temperature regulating, which means it'll keep you cool in the summer, nice and cozy in the winter. Um, You won't sweat. There's no static. Um, Your heels won't snag on it like with cheap polyester. 
Um, and it doesn't leach microplastics into your waterways, which is a big bonus. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we focus on in terms of why it's a superior product. Um, you know, we have people with eczema, contact dermatitis, hyperhidrosis, um, ailments like ALS and multiple sclerosis that cause overheating, um, women going through menopause, pregnant women who overheat at night, um, all of whom say that our sheets are the only ones that they get them through the night. And I have a herniated C4, C5. And so for me, that's really meaningful because I've, I've suffered from sleep deprivation from pain. Um, and so, you know, if you can convince people that the product is better and they open it up and it actually is better, um, the sustainability is actually more of an icing on the cake. And we see that really routinely in customer surveys where they say their favorite features of the sheets are the temperature regulation um, and the softness. And then the third thing is the sustainability, which is really interesting because we're very clearly a sustainable product and a sustainable company, but it's consistently the third thing people mark in their interviews is why they love the product. So that's super interesting to me. Yeah, I actually... I read a survey um, a couple of months ago about sustainable clothing mm-hmm. and how people really didn't buy it because it was sustainable. Right. Like the, the market for people who only buy sustainable is like not really there. <laughs> it's just yep. yeah, a fraction. In fact, we just released our new mattress. Um, we just shipped our first 20 units this last weekend. It's a sustainable mattress. Um, and in surveys, you can ask what's your number one feature in a new mattress and about, you know, uh, 25% of people will say uh, temperature regulation, about 35% of people will say back support. Um, you know, a certain amount of people will say, you know, softness, firmness levels, things like that. And then it's really only about like 6% or so of people that say sustainability. Um, which is really interesting. And I think it's something that like, I think that I, that number actually represents an opportunity more than anything else. Because I think that like people, I think Americans generally think and have thought people who grew up in the nineties, especially that like sustainable means that you have to sacrifice quality. Right. Um, and I think it's just one of that like early wave of sustainably made products in the nineties was they were a lot of them were suboptimal. Right. And you can even see it today with the paper straws, plastic straws thing, you know, like, um, and so for me, I think that it's a really good opportunity to educate people that like, you don't have to pick and choose with, with these features. You can have a mattress that does everything and that's made from plant-based materials. And, um, that's what we're trying to, trying to show people. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, all right, well, let's uh, segue over into strategies. Sure. So based on your customers, what are th- like three strategies that you've seen work or even fail? Um, the main one that I've seen work that I'll recommend is uh, one-on-one engagement. Um, you know, it's funny. You, a lot of the buzzwords in e-commerce are like personalization. Mm-hmm. But they mean, per, but like the way that people talk about personalization, I think is a little disingenuous and more, a little salesy where like, they're like, yeah, you know, like we, based on our, our AI, so, uh, you know, software automation, we can personalize which color sheets we show your shoppers based on their web browsing trends in the last 30 days. And I'm like, A, that feels a little invasive. B, that doesn't really feel personalized. That just feels a little manipulative. And you know, see, it's like, I don't know, man, you show me like red versus purple versus blue right away. Like, 
I understand the company has more than one color bed sheet. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I guess they only have this color. So, you know, and like, you know, there's, there are some good personalization tools out there for, for web shopping, but I'm talking about one-to-one -one stuff that doesn't scale. Like I, I run our company Twitter. I reply to Instagram comments. I, you know, will jump on customer care emails. Like we have, we have three customer care full-time associates who all hours of the day will reply to emails every day of the week. Um, they're all based in Florida. Uh, you know, uh, and I've, I've known one of them since I was eight years old, like, you know, so, so they know me very well as well. And they can translate that into interactions with our customers. Um, like we, we really take like a personal approach to engaging with people. I used to answer the phone myself for the first two years of the business, um, and have 30 minute conversations with people sometimes, um, cause they had questions and those one-to-one -one interactions are, they don't, I don't think that they continue to scale, but we've been doing them for our first, you know, hundred plus thousand customers. Um, and it really makes a difference in terms of how people perceive you and your brand and the way that they're willing to go to bat for you and advocate for you when they talk to their friends and family, if they have a one-on-one -on -one interaction with you. So that's, that's the number one thing I'd say. Um, yeah. And then to think of a couple others that uh, have either worked or not worked so well, We've we've really pulled back on paid um, social spending. Um, the acquisition costs are just out of control, and I don't really feel like I'm paying for much value um, when I spend money on Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, and then something that's also worked really well is um, we do podcast advertising for some podcasts, and we don't just do the ads for the show. We actually like will create content for the show will listen to the show and then we'll, we'll engage their following with content that we make for the show, um, whether it's on their subreddits or their Twitters. Um, and that gets a lot of great engagement as well. And um, we make, we make landing pages in the tone, in the tone of the shows that we sponsor as well for those shows. So it's not just like a coupon auto ad, it's a landing page dedicated to the show itself and all the things we love about the show we're sponsoring. That's an interesting one. Does that take a like a lot of time? Sure does. Yeah. I mean, but you know, if you have a team of, you know, 15, 20 people, everybody's got their favorite podcast. So you have your employees make the landing page for their favorite podcast. Oh. That's <laughs> <laughs> so that's a fun, that's a fun trick that we've that we've learned. Awesome. Uh, do you have any interesting customer stories? Oh, endless, endless. I mean, we sell bed sheets. Uh, we, we have, we have some really weird customer stories. Um, a lot of questions about how to get stains of sheets. <laughs> uh, you know, we have people do a lot of TMI, um, in their customer care emails. Like you don't have to tell us why this happened to your sheets. You can just tell us that this did happen to your sheets. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I have customers, like the thing that always surprises me, man, is that um, people get really like, I don't know how to say this without coming off as a little, a, a little sad, I guess. But I, I think Americans are like really lonely, like in a, in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. I think that people are like very, um, it's, it's, I don't, I don't want to come off as too heavy. I, I just think that like people feel disconnected. They feel, they feel a little isolated. They feel like, like, you know, they don't, they don't have um, maybe people that they can talk to on a daily basis. 
And so a lot of people get really attached to brands um, very, very viscerally. And it's, it is a little odd. It always freaks me out a little bit when I see people on, you know, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, um, you know, like just constantly talking about us, like talking about us, tagging us every day, like commenting on all of our, our ads, like having conversations with us, like with the brand, and, and I enjoy, I really enjoy those interactions. And, you know, I, I talk to people, one, like I said, one-to-one and, and we make that connection with them. But I, I also, um, you know, people, people will definitely tell you stuff that like, you're like, man, like, you know, that's, that's, you don't really need to tell a brand that, or you don't really, you don't really need to like open up like that in the comments of an ad or something like that. So I don't know. I, I think that those are interesting stories. Cause like, just kind of, I feel like I have this like this MBA I've done and or master's degree into the mind of the American consumer right. <laughs> over the last four years, you know, I, one part of that, you said you, you started selling these in October, 2018. So that you had a good year and a half before the about pandemic. A year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Before the pandemic, about a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've noticed, and I've, I thought the same thing about the loneliness of, of the average consumer. Um, because how they interact with me when I'm trying to get people on the show. Right. Um, not really only the loneliness, just as you said, the disconnectedness. They yeah. want to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, did that change during the pandemic or did you see that before? I saw it before. I did okay. see it before. I, you know, I, I think that we we have like a society that doesn't really foster like a lot of authentic um interpersonal relationships like everyone is trying to sell you on something like everyone's trying to everyone's working their tail off like people don't they're they're sleep deprived like they're not eating well the american diet is very processed like it's hard to focus sometimes like people don't have a lot of disposable income i i saw that before i i did um and i think the pandemic really just exacerbated it for for a lot of people but i think everything I'm talking about was, has been present the full, the full four years that we've been running this thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Well, usually I would actually kind of wrap this up with advice that you would give to like other brands <laughs> growing, but I want to change that for this one. Sure. What advice would you give to these American consumers? <laughs> um, I, I, It's going to probably, um, be detrimental to my company um honestly but you can't buy your way out of uh climate change that's the that's one thing that i've been trying to impart and i've been trying to really get across to people is like and it's funny because we sell a sustainable product so it's like you know most comp the thing that i really despise about my space and about the sustainability uh e-commerce space in general is that the american consumer is really good at, at one thing. They're really good at a number of things, but they're really, really good at one thing, and that's buying. They're really, really good at buying. And, and we've created a nation of, of consumers. And um, so when they're care- they care about a problem, they care about a social problem, a climate problem, a political problem, a lot of people's first instinct is what, how, they, they say vote with your wallet, right? What can I buy? to get to fix this problem. And I think in some regards that can be true, right? In terms of like using your dollars to make your voice heard and thinking about what you buy before you buy it. Um, 
But I think in other ways, like people take advantage of that where, you know, buy our stuff, buy more of this thing, buy more of this thing, because it will, it, it's, you know, it, it it's the sustainable option, or whatever it is, really reduced consumption is how you get how you fight climate change, Re- that that like reduction in emissions, that reduction in consumption and production. So I guess like, I know it's, it's a, it's maybe a weird answer to hear from a guy who runs a sustainability brand, but like, you know, I hope that when people need new sheets, when they need new mattress, when they need these items, they come to sheets and giggles. That's, that's what I hope they do. Um, But I would say that like, you know, the best thing that we can all do if we're worried about climate change and if we're worried about sustainability is to make our our spending and living habits a little bit more local, a little bit more sustainable in and of themselves and a little bit more reserved. Um, and that's what I've been personally trying to practice is, um, you know, I, I shop a lot at thrift stores for for reused items. Um, I grow my own vegetables and fruit here in my, my house. Um, and I always try to make sure I, I donate items that I no longer need and, and get them to another place so they can be reused instead of a new one bought. So anyway... Uh, uh, maybe odd advice for a guy who runs a, a brand. I'd still uh, like you to buy our sheets if you need them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I think it's an important point, an important topic to yeah. bring up. So yeah. Great. All right. Well, thanks for being on. Yeah, really no, I, I I love the I love the interview. Thanks, Jason. I'm, and I'm glad we were finally able to connect on this. And I hope the listeners enjoy it. Yeah, good. Okay. Thanks again to Colin for being on the show. And we would love to hear your takeaways from the interview. So find the real heroes of e-commerce on Substack and let us know in the comments. Until next time.